0: All right, so like I said, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, and we're going to go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight. God, first of all, humbled that we can even come to you like this in prayer. God, the truth of it is, Lord, none of us are fit, none of us are worthy, and none of ourselves, Lord God, to even begin to come near your presence, Lord God, and yet your word tells us we can come boldly in your presence. But that's not because of us, God, because of us we'll see tonight. That's only because of Jesus, who has made us worthy. Father God, tonight, Lord, we desire above all things that you're glorified. Therefore, Lord, I submit myself to you and ask that you would use my brain and my mouth to speak to your people. God, let the words that come forth from me be yours. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would remove the enemy from this place, Lord God. There's nothing the devil would like more than to distract us, God, from this time. And I just pray that any distractions, Lord God, that you would just cast away. That God, tonight, we can hear from you. We can be changed closer into the image of Jesus. Father God, be receive all the honor and praise through our time. And bless this word in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, does anybody ever have any times in life where you get frustrated? Nobody? Well, I do. There's a lot of things in life that frustrate me. For instance, after the holidays, when I go to put a pair of jeans on, and they don't fit. That frustrating. Anybody? Come on. There we go. Thank you. We're going to get into the end of this one tonight. Um, isn't it frustrating that it takes, like, months to lose 20 pounds, but you can gain it back in, like, a few weeks? Yeah, that's, that's frustrating to me. What's also frustrating to me is... When I'm exhausted and want to go to bed, my brain won't quit talking. Anybody ever have that problem? Yeah, that's frustrating to me. Here's something else that's frustrating. Why is it that the person that snores always falls asleep first? Anybody ever think about that? <laughs> something else that frustrates me. Why is it every time you go to Walmart they got 20 registers and only one's open? Does that ever bug anybody besides me? Yep, that definitely frustrates me. Um, why is it that when there's a movie you've been wanting to see some way and somebody inevitably spoils it for you before you get to see it? And then there's insurance. This really frustrates me. Why is it that we have to pay them every month, but they get to pick and choose what they pay us? Anybody ever figure that one out? Yeah, that frustrates me. Why is it that when you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you inevitably get behind somebody slow and hit every stoplight in town? Does that ever bug you? There's a lot of frustrations in life, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of things that can really get under your crawl and under your skin. But you know what the number one thing that gets under my skin is? In fact, I think if you thought about this, you'd probably agree with what I'm about to say. The number one thing that gets under my skin is me. Anybody anybody else have that problem? Do you ever irritate yourself? Like, does it ever bother you how you respond to certain things? How you allow things to get to you? I bug me. I irritate myself quite often. And this is especially true for Christians who are sincerely trying to live for the Lord. Why is it that sin seems so easy to give into, and yet doing the things we're supposed to do, like read our Bibles and, and spend time in prayer and be kind to people, is so hard. You ever think about that? Isn't that frustrating? You ever get irritated with yourself, like why, why do I struggle with the good things so much and yet give in so easily to things that I shouldn't? Why is it that when we have a bad day, we always take it out on the people we love the most? You ever think about that? Doesn't that bug you? Why does it always feel like a losing battle in this Christian life? Does anybody have just something that you struggle with? Like a, a sin issue, uh, a struggle of some sort that just, it's like you can't overcome it. It's like no matter how hard you've prayed about it, no matter how much you've read the Bible, how much you've begged the Lord to, to get rid of this thorn in your side, it just seems like it won't. Go away. That frustrates me. It aggravates me. And quite honestly, it just I, I get so frustrated with myself sometimes be, because of those things. Because it just seemed like the Christian life is an endless battle of two steps forward and one step back. And sometimes two steps forward and two steps back. <laughs> it kind of just seems that way. And the big problem with that constant cycle in our lives where we're getting... Frustrated with ourselves, especially as a Christian, is that it it creates a what I'm going to call a breeding ground for Satan to come into our heads, to come into our minds, and to convince us of things that really aren't true. It 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 gives him almost permission to come into our heads and wreak some serious havoc when it comes to our spiritual lives. Because when these voices in our head from the enemy come in, he tries to convince us of a lot of things. Like, how could God ever love you? How could God ever save you? You think you're saved? You can't be really saved. You think God would accept you? No. You you think you can really call him Father when you act the way you do, when you struggle the way you do, when you deal with the things the way you deal with them? You really think that God's going to accept you? You. Does anybody deal with that ever in your life? And the problem with that is it brings these feelings of shame into us. Feelings of truly just unworthiness. Where we don't even feel like we should ever even come to God in prayer. Like we don't feel we should even bother Him with our, with our voice because He wouldn't want us to come to Him anyways after the way that we acted or the week that we had. And, and oftentimes our personal frustrations lead to anger with ourselves that can lead to even, in many cases with people, almost hatred of themselves if they're not careful. And they can get to the point where they're so defeated and feel like such a loser because they keep on failing that they almost just completely walk away from the Lord. This happens. It's happened in a lot of Christians' lives. I've experienced it personally, and maybe you have too at different points in your walk with the Lord. And, and, and during those times, there's like kind of a cycle that we go through. Sometimes we go to great lengths to try to compensate for our flaws, Like if we can do a bunch of good stuff to overcome the bad stuff, maybe we'll kind of balance the scale in our favor, but let's just face it, that's stressful. Because no matter how hard we try, it seems like we keep stepping on our toes. And then after we go through that cycle, we almost feel like just giving up. There's times where we can get so far to where we're so defeated, we just throw our hands in the air and say, well, if I'm going to turn into that, I might as well go... Both feed in, and we almost just go into this rebellion phase against the Lord. And the problem with that is it gets to a point where Christians, people that, that are born-again believers, saved children of God, can come to the point where they actually are angry at the Lord. They, they can grow even to resent God. Because, God, I thought you loved me enough to keep me away from this stuff. Why aren't, you, why aren't you giving me the strength? I've prayed, I've tried, I've read my Bibles, I've done all the right things. Why is it that I struggle so deeply? And Christians will turn away because they feel completely unacceptable to the Lord. This is a dangerous, dangerous place to be as a Christian. And if we're not careful, we can easily fall into that trap. Because Satan would like nothing more than to convince us that God doesn't want us. And yet, that's completely untrue. And so, when a Christian gets there, that's a a bad spot, it's a difficult spot to get out of. So what we're going to look at today, um, in our time here, is really, how do we keep ourselves from getting there to that point? How do we keep Satan's voice out of our heads? How do we stop this cycle from happening in our lives and allowing him to destroy us? And the answer, as we'll see today, is understanding that for us as God's people, a truth that we need to grasp is that God sees us far differently than we see ourselves. And I praise God for that. Now, as I said, today we're going to be looking at at one verse, and it's here in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 14, and, and I will tell you this is one of the most Profound verses I have ever read in my life. It's a verse that I have never forgotten. It's one that has stuck with me um, as long as I have known it. And it says this, For by that one offering, He, speaking of Jesus, forever made perfect, those who are being made holy. Now, think. the title of my message is on purpose this week. I entitled my message, A Finished Work in Progress. And if you'll get the little bit of a pun on that, or the play of words on that, it really plays into this specific passage of Scripture because it says, For by that one offering Christ forever has made perfect. Now, In the Greek language, and I know we don't speak Greek as Americans, but it's 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 important to understand some of these these verses from that text because that's what they were written in. In this specific phrase, forever made perfect, is in what's called the the perfect tense in the Greek language, meaning that it was a a work that was done in the past that its effect goes on into the future forever. It's kind of the idea. And, And so Jesus, in his one sacrifice has already perfected forever, it says. But then it says, those who are being, as in active present tense, being made holy. So how, here's here's the profound nature of this verse. How can we, in one sense, be absolutely perfect in the eyes of God? And yet, not be perfect in being made perfect. Do you, do you get it? We have been perfected, and yet we're being perfected. How does this work? And, and it's in this, if we can grasp this passage, it will completely change your view of how you believe God sees you as a Christian. Now, to understand this passage really, we need to understand the context behind this specific passage of Scripture Now, this book of Hebrews was written to first century Jews, right? And so these Jews were used to living under what was known as the Jewish law or the law of Moses. And although this was believed to be written somewhere 35 to 40 years after Jesus had already died and risen and went back to his heavenly throne, many Jews still struggled with what I'm going to call works-based salvation, that this idea that they had to perform a certain way for God to truly accept them for who they were. Meaning, there, were still some, there was still something in these Jewish Christians that believed for God to truly accept them, for, him to truly have, for them to truly have their name securely written down to heaven. They had to follow the rules enough so that God would receive them. And can I tell you something? That is still something that so many Christians struggle with all the time. This idea that for God to accept me, I need to follow the rules. For, for God to really be pleased with me, I need to do this, 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 and this, and then God will really be happy to have me as a part of his family. This is essentially what these Jews of this first century were dealing with. Now, although the gospel had been kind of widely preached by this point, and even these Jewish people that this was written to had already made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, most of them, they had a really tough time leaving the roots of their Jewish faith, that faith that centered around the performance of the law. Now in the Old Testament we have Genesis which is a cool book, we have the first part of Exodus which is a cool book, and then you have like the second half of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and those books and you read them and it's just like it's like all these rules and laws and stuff and it's like what does this have to do with anything, right? Well, to the Jewish people that lived in it had, had everything to do with what they were living with. I mean, for, for one, it governed them. Um, the, part of the reason they got the law was to it was part of how they were supposed to run their government. Um, there was different things like feasts and festivals that they were expected to take part in, and the purpose of those was to remind them of the incredible works that God had done, um, to be a constant reminder that, that God was on their side, that God was worthy of worship and, and worthy of, to, to serve. And, and they, they had laws about food and clothes, that were designed to set them apart from the other surrounding nations. Um, There was a a list of things that would make them ceremonially unclean, which would prevent them from coming to the place of worship. Um, If they were unclean, they were essentially unfit to be in the presence of God. And so this was kind of the, the context of what the Jews, even a few years after Jesus had already died, this is all they had known. Now, when we think about the law, we often think about, like, the Ten Commandments. You might be more familiar with those, right? The Ten Commandments were God's moral law, his expectations for his people. And then the other one most people think of when they think about the law were the sacri- was the sacrificial laws. Like, have you read the Old Testament? It's, there's a lot of blood in the Old Testament, isn't there? I mean, they're killing turtle doves and they're killing goats and they're killing sheep and they're killing bulls and they're, and it's all this blood sacrifices and, and everything else, and this was part of is this, what was called really this Old Covenant of the Old Testament, which was an agreement between God and the nation of Israel, which were his called-out people, and here's the idea. He was They were given rules, you follow these rules, these Ten Commandments, but God knew that they were going to fail, and so because they were going to fail, which essentially is sin, right, because when we break God's law, that's what breaking God's law is, is sin, and so because they sinned, he instituted these sacrificial laws, Because from the very beginning of time, the penalty for sin is what? Death. Which is why Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 talks about how this is always the way it's been. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so in the Old Testament, you had an innocent animal's life that was taken in place of the guilty person who had sinned. Why? Because, again, since that uh, beginning of creation, this was the decree, and this innocent innocent animal's life was taken to cover, to atone for, if you will, the life of the guilty person. Now, this doesn't seem today, in our context of living, seem to make any sense, and yet, it's a good thing God did it that way, because if you would have acquired death from the person that sinned, instead of allowing an animal to cover for their sin, how many people do you think will be left alive today? How about this many? We wouldn't be here. And so there's a good reason God did this. Now, there was also a spiritual reason God did this, which was obviously to help them understand that they, in their own strength, they, in their own power, could never do enough to be acceptable by God. And the fact that they had to do these sacrifices all the time was continual proof that they weren't good enough. And so the law really in its intent, as we see in the New Testament, was to lead them to a better sacrifice, to lead them to Jesus, the one who died one time for all people, which brings us back again to this verse for today, that for by that one offering, Jesus, when he went to the cross, when his blood was shed, when he died, when he was buried, that in that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, as we think about that verse, I want to talk about two basic things before we kind of bring in some application. One is this, I want to talk about the completed work of Jesus for us. On our behalf. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he accomplished something that nobody else could. When Jesus went to the cross, he accomplished more in that one sacrifice than the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals that had been killed from that time before. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 says this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under under that old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to ever take away sin. And so, what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, Jesus did with his blood on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Our high priest, speaking of Christ, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, and then he sat down in the place of honor at God's God's right hand. And this picture of Christ ascending to heaven and sitting down is a huge picture image of the fact that his work was done. He had completed what he came to do. Now, We get this idea of that one offering making perfect forever those people that come to faith in Jesus. And the question is, we have to ask is, how is that really even possible? If you have your Bibles, flip over to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. And we get this interesting um, picture here. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 12 and then verse 15 through 19. So Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, When Adam sinned, Adam the first man when he brought sin into the world, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And so we have this picture in the beginning with this first man, Adam, the first created being, right? He brings sin in the world because he he did the one thing God told him not to do. And because of that, he brought this curse of sin that has passed on generation after generation after generation, person after person after person, literally to everyone, to this very day. If you are sitting in here, the fact that you frustrate yourself, say, thank you, Adam, because it's his fault. He brought, well, we can't, we can't blame him too much because it's our fault just as much, right? We're, we're accountable for our own sin. But, 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 but the truth of it is he brought sin that passed down to all of us. All the problems we see in our world, all the, all the junk we see in our world today, it's because of the fact that sin was brought in this world and spread to everyone. And what we see today is the result. Brokenness and, and war and death and disease and struggles and strife. All because of sin. However... Jump down to verse 15. This is where it gets good. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam said love to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it um, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. And so what Jesus did on the cross essentially is this. He died for sin itself. That sin that Adam brought into the world, that curse of sin that spread to all people, Jesus died so that it could cancel out what Adam brought into the world. You get that, right? Now, the question is, is how is it applied then to people? Because he says here in verse 14, for that that one offering he forever made those. Who are the those? It's not everybody in the world. It's those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, and made him Lord and Savior over their lives. That's who Jesus' finished work on the cross applies to. So if you know Jesus, what he did on the cross now applies to you. That, that, that curse of sin in your life has been canceled. Now, he says he has made perfect. So by that one offer, he has made perfect those. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If you know Jesus, you are not the same person as you were before you know Jesus. You may have the same skin. You may look the same in the mirror, depending on when you got saved. If it was a long time ago, you may look a little older. But you're not the same person. You were spiritually reborn. Before Christ, the Bible tells us we were people controlled by Satan, destined for hell spiritually dead. After Christ, we have been given new birth, new life, and we are eternal beings headed for eternal life in heaven. All because of the fact that what Jesus did on the cross counts for us, applies to our life. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So God rescued us from the hands of Satan and replaced us into the hands of jesus how is this possible second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 god made him speaking of jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him so on the cross an incredible thing happened jesus pays the debt of sin defeats sin, defeats the curse of sin completely, right? And because of that, because of his death, because of his resurrection, the completed work of salvation, this great transaction is made when a person comes to faith in Jesus. He took our sin to the cross, and guess what we got in exchange when we came to faith in Christ? His perfection. See, what, what made Christ... Death so effectual on the cross. It was the fact that he lived a perfect life. That Old Testament law that I talked about a little bit ago, the Bible talks about how Christ came under that law for a reason. He obeyed literally everything to the the T, to the period, perfectly in his life. The only one in all of history to be able to do that. He didn't have to die, but he willingly died, right? And so his perfect life is then transferred to us who have made him Lord and Savior. And so when it says that he has made perfect forever, that's what it's talking about. We have the transferred righteousness, righteousness of Christ. It's the idea of imputed righteousness given to us by him, transferred to our lives, so that when God sees us right now, in this moment, he sees the perfection of his Son. Right now. That's not someday. That's right now. God sees the perfect righteousness of Christ for those of us who know Jesus as Savior. Colossians 2.14 tells us that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What an amazing thing that is. What's amazing is even in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 6, we see this picture. It says, he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. It's speaking of Christians that were alive at the time. So the Apostle Paul, reading to this, writing to this Ephesian church, he's telling them, if you know Christ, you are seated presently spiritually with Christ in heaven. You're already there. When it says he has made perfect, our, our salvation is secure. Our place in heaven is secure as Christians. Like, how is that even possible? We're not even there yet, and yet we're there. How, how does that work out? There's a lot of crazy stuff like that in the Bible, but yet, by faith we believe it because it says it to be true. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, a few verses before this one, says... God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And so when you came to faith in Jesus, not only were your sins that you had done in the past forgiven, any sin you will ever commit has already been forgiven. Isn't that crazy? We are presently perfect in God's sight you know what that means? As Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what Satan speaks into our mind, because you know what? The Bible says we're perfect. The condemnation we feel in our lives is not the voice of God, it's the voice of Satan. Ephesians chapter 9, verses 27 through 28. It says, each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people and he will come again. However, not to deal with our sins but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. When we see Jesus it's not to be condemned. He's not, if you know Christ his judgment is no longer upon you. He's going to receive you as his own. And that is an incredible thing to think about. So that's our present state right now. However, the rest of that verse says... He has perf- made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so we have this like conundrum, right? This paradoxical thought that we're all, we are perfect, yet we're not quite there yet. So what is this talking about? Well, spiritually, positionally in heaven, we're made perfect. However, practically in our everyday lives, we have a long ways to go before we look like Jesus. Does that make sense? And this is what's called this process of sanctification, right? Big word that simply means we are, moment by moment, day by day, being made into the likeness of Jesus. If you can picture a piece of rock, the idea is there's little chips being taken out of it all the time in our lives. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sculpture, a perfect sculpture at the end of it. And when it's done, it's going to be perfect because it's going to look like Jesus. Michelangelo, the famous sculptor, once said this, every block of stone has a statue in it, inside of it. And it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. What's interesting about the second half of this verse, those who are being made holy, is actually in a, in a tense. It's called the passive tense in the Greek language, which means that, that we are the ones receiving the being made holy. Does that make sense? So that the being made holy is not something that, that we can accomplish on our own. It's actually an outside source that is causing this in our lives. Who do you think that outside source is? The Lord. He is the one making us holy in our practical lives day by day, chipping away the rough edges of our lives, slowly making us look more and more like Jesus every day, week, and year that passes. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 tells us, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finished. That's the hope we have as Christians. When it looks like all our, all our life is, is full of blunders and mistakes, and there's no way in the world I'm ever going to get anywhere in my spiritual walk because I feel like a failure constantly, guess what? That's not the voice of God, that's the voice of Satan. And we can't say, I'm never going to get there. Don't say that because guess what? It ain't up to you. Because you belong to the Lord now, and he's the one that says he will complete it. He will do it no matter what it takes in our lives. He is day by day by day, week by week by week, making us more and more like His Son. The question is, how does that work? How does He do it? Well, there's a number of ways the Lord does it. One is mainly through His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that that indwells us as God's people. The Bible tells us that when we got saved, the Spirit of the living God made His home inside of us as His people. The Bible talks about how when the Holy Spirit comes, he he convicts. What does that mean to be convicted? It means when we get into God's Word and we start reading the Bible and, and and we see stuff like we're supposed to be patient and something inside of us says, you ain't very patient. Where do you think that little voice came from? It's not the angel on your shoulder. It's the spirit of the living God inside of you saying, you got some work to do in this area of your life. Let's start doing it, right? And so through the spirit of God, through the word of God, as we, as we get in it, as we read it, we see areas of our life that, boy, we just don't quite match up to perfection like we're supposed to. So guess what i got to do? i got to start working on that particular area of my life. And, and so I begin this endeavor starting to work on this particular area of my life. But, but man, it's hard. And why do I stumble over my own feet all the time? Isn't it real? I mean, the struggle is real. But slowly, day by day, week by week, year by year, it's amazing that some of the things I struggle with 10 years ago, I don't struggle with anymore. Things that I never thought I'd get over, I don't struggle with anymore. Why is that? Because the Spirit of the living God inside of me, day by day, week by week, year by year, is making me more and more like Jesus. Happens through His Spirit, through His Word, Happens many times through his church. The Bible talks all over the place about how we're supposed to build one another up and strengthen one another. All the spiritual gifts we've been given by God are for what? The building up of his church. The helping us grow and mature in our faith to gain a knowledge and understanding of his words so that we can be convicted by the Spirit and be moved and changed in the image of God. That's another way that he sanctifies us, that he makes us more holy. Another way that he does it is through times where we step out in faith and he meets us where we're at and, we, and he proves himself faithful just like his word says. And boy, we, go, we, we take that step of faith and, and God meets us there and we go, wow! Now I want to take a bigger step. And God calls us to a bigger step and guess what happens? God meets us right there again. And step by step, leap by leap, God begins to grow our faith because he proves himself faithful which causes us to trust him more. And guess what? Another piece of that stone chipped off. Look a little bit more like Jesus. But can I tell you something? There's a couple other ways that aren't all that fun that help us look more like Jesus. And one of the difficulties in our life. Don't you wish you didn't have difficulties? That you didn't have trials, that you didn't have sorrows, that we didn't lose people, that we didn't have bad things happen in our life, catastrophes. But they're real, aren't they? Well then, why would God do that? You know, many people will walk away from God because of the struggles in their lives. When, they, but what they fail to understand is those, those very struggles that God's allowing for the purpose of perfecting them. James chapter one verses two through four brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, and so let it go, grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, listen, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when God allows those things in our lives, it's for a purpose. It's to draw us closer to Him. Who knows we learn quicker through blunders than we do through victories it's just a fact and the fact of it is he even grows us through our own sins like what like god uses our sins to make us look more like jesus how does that work out that don't seem very bible like does it that he'll use our sins to make us look more like jesus how does that but he does Have you ever dealt with a sin? It got you to the point where it finally broke you? It got you to the point where you're like, God, I can't do this anymore. You need to help me with this and rest. And he finally does. And now you're on the other side of it. And you know what inevitably happens? Somebody else will come into your life that is struggling with the exact same thing that you just dealt with. And guess what you get to do? You get to come alongside of them and be the church and encourage them and tell them, look, here's what I dealt with, but let me tell you what God can do. God, look, he's using even our sins. When Romans eight twenty eight says that God works all things for the good of those who love him, or those who are called according to a purpose, he means that even the sorrows, even the struggles, even the sins, he is using all of those things to make us look more and more like Jesus. In heaven, we're already perfect. Practically, we're not yet there yet, but the road from now to the end of our life is this process of sanctification where every week, day, month, year that passes, chip by chip by chip by chip, he's making us look more like Jesus, and there's going to be a day that we stand before him that we will look like Jesus. It's not just going to be some standing in heaven. It's going to be the actual thing, of standing before him. What a beautiful picture this verse is depicts. However, here's the application. We have to accept it as true. And can I tell you something? That's the hardest part of it. Because I don't feel very perfect. Anyone else have that problem? In the midst of your flaws and frustrations and struggles... You ever look at the mirror and go, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Why do you struggle like this all the time? Why don't you get over yourself? We have to accept it. Either the Bible is speaking truth or it's speaking a lie. And if it says that our standing right now before God is perfect, holy, and righteous, how about we just accept it? And believe it. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Romans 7, 21-25. He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he says this. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote the great portion of the New Testament. He says, Oh, what a miserable person that I am? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can I tell you something? What was true for him is true for me and you. And we have to accept that as truth. And then you know what we need to do? We need to take some time. And literally just to sit in awe of that truth. Do you ever do that? When you read something in Scripture, and you just go, wow. And just shut up for a few minutes and let it sink in. That is so important, especially with this truth. To let it sink in. Like, God, I know me. I'm not perfect. But he says, yes, you are. Because of Jesus, yes, you are. And you're not only perfect, you're mine. You're my child because Ephesians chapter 1 says we've been adopted into the family of God. He has placed his name upon us. And he has promised us a heavenly inheritance. That's amazing. As David wrote in the Psalm 139... He says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them because they outnumber the grains of sand. In this psalm, David, King David is pondering his life and, and all the ways God has been with him since before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. He talked I mean, talk about he, how he knew him. When he was in his mother's womb, it was the hands of God that was forming him. How no matter where he went, God would be with him. And as he pondered these things, he just says, wow. How awesome are you, Lord? That's so important in our lives. To let the word of God sink into our soul. So often we we hear amazing things like this and we get like this little fluttery feeling inside of us and it goes here and out here and then nothing ever changes. We need to like truly internalize these things because what I can tell you is when we internalize those things, it will change us forever. Because our Christian faith will come to have a whole new meaning in that moment. We'll understand that the Christian life is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about coming to church and reading our Bible, doing these things because God says so, because I really want Him to be happy with me. That's not the Christian life. Those things are important. It's what we're supposed to do, but that's not what makes it acceptable. Can I tell you something? If you sat for 24 hours a day for the rest of your life and did nothing but stare at the Bible and talk to the Lord as long as you could handle that, can I tell you something? You wouldn't be any more acceptable to God than you are right now in this moment. And it's that realization and that understanding that will transform us because now the reason that I read my Bible, the reason that I pray, the reason that I come to church, the reason that I serve people, the reason that I evangelize is not to get God's approval. It's because I want to glorify him with my life because all he has done for me. That will transform your Christian life when you quit trying to gain God's acceptance and just believe that you already have it and then use that as a a catalyst to live your life out for Him, it will change and transform everything. And then once we do that, how we can respond to the Lord is this. Although... He who began the work in us is going to be the one that completes us. Although we're the recipient of his sanctifying work, here's what we can do. We can help accelerate the process along. Meaning we can do it one way or the other. We can do it kicking or screaming, or we can do it willingly. One way or the other, guess what's going to happen? He's God. We're not just going to get done. We're going to do it the hard way, or we're going to do it the easy way. You ever had that conversation with your kids? God and our Father in Heaven says the same thing. One way or the other, it's going to happen. So we can, we can either kick and scream, or we can accelerate the process along. Meaning, if we want to accelerate it, we can submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. Galatians 5, 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ have nailed their passions and desires and their sinful nature to the cross and have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think only about things that please the Spirit, so letting your sinful nature, control your mind, leads to death. Letting the spirit, control your mind, leads to life and peace. So guess what? We can do it one of two ways. We can say, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. My life is in your hands. I'm chaining myself to you. Lead me, guide me, help me to live my life for you. God, I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to start applying your word because I want to live my life in a way that honors you. I want to live my life in a way that makes me look more and more like Jesus. And God, I'm doing it. Willingly. Can I tell you something, that way is a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun. The fact is, is God sees the finished you. But the finished us won't be seen by us until we see Jesus. And in that day, as we look back in our lives, we will see everything from a different perspective. We will, in that day, see how the trials and the challenges of our lives shaped us. How the sins and struggles helped develop our character and how all the different seasons in our life intersected to mold us and to shape us into the person God saw before the foundations of the world were ever laid. We are a finished work in progress. But I praise God that I'm in His hands. Amen? Let's pray many Father, thank you so much for this time, this night, Lord, for your word, for this incredible truth. Lord God, I just pray that it would sink way down in deep our hearts and minds and souls. God, for the Christian here, Lord, I pray that that they would just be able to grasp that they couldn't be any loved than than they are right now. They couldn't be loved more no matter what they do than they are right now in this moment. They couldn't be any more acceptable to you than they are right now. Yes, we may not be perfect yet in the practical hours of our life, God, but you see us as righteous. Lord, let us believe it. In our lives, let us choose to walk in a way that honors you, choose that, uh, to walk in a way that allows this, this process of us becoming more like Jesus easier. But Father, there may be a person in here that's never even made the decision to follow Christ. And for that person, Lord, I pray that they would take the first step. That first step of receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, your word says we can simply come in faith and talk to you in prayer. And God, your word tells us if we will ask Jesus to come into our lives, to forgive us of our sins, to come in to be our Lord and our Savior, believing upon his death and resurrection, that we'll be saved you'll forgive us of those sins, that you will save us and make us yours. And if anybody here in this place never made that decision, God, tonight, in these moments we have remaining, God, let them just cry out in faith and receive Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in the precious name of our Lord. Amen. As we close tonight, we are going to sing a song. Um, And I'm, I'm